Uh, the word I'm going to talk about today is the word that you might have heard a lot about uh, over these past months, actually. It's the word reset. The word reset. Have you seen that word around? It's kind of this closing out of 2020 year and this vision of starting a new year with a little bit of a reset. Now, some people might refer to that in terms of, you know, the circumstances, getting better around us. But I don't think that's really what reset is about. It's not about resetting the circumstances, but it's about resetting some important things in our lives that need to get reset, that need to get a little rebooted. The definition of reset is pretty simple, to adjust or fix in a new or different way. And if we look at 2020, now moving into 2021, there are some things that are broken or tweaked that need adjusting and fixing, right? Pretty clear. And we want things to be new and different. So there is a reset that all of us are looking forward to, not just in terms of what's happening, but who we are and what we do with this precious gift of life that we all have. Now, we know about reset. For example, if your Wi-Fi gets a little funky at home, uh, maybe gets a little laggy, maybe some drop-offs, you take your, you know, um, uh, what's that called? A, a uh, um, not a pen, a paperclip, yes, paperclip. And you hit that reset button for about 30 seconds, and the idea is that it reboots and restarts, and voila, everything's fine with your wireless, right? Uh, we have a very sophisticated IT staff here, and I know that's all they do is take their paper clips and restart their router. That's all they do, and they pretend it's really fancy. That was probably more than that, but uh, you know how to reset your router. You may know how to reset your breaker. So if a breaker in your house trips, you go to the breaker and you do the off and on thing and reset your breaker. If you break a bonio, you know that you go to the, uh, the doctor, the orthopedist, resets your broken bone, and then it heals, I hear, stronger than even before it was broken. Now, those are the physical things. We know what reset is. There's also the kind of mental, emotional, heart-level, spiritual kinds of resets. Uh, when our thinking goes sideways, and a lot of us go through seasons of life where our thought life gets kind of funky, it gets kind of, we start embracing thoughts of, um, you know, that may, not, that, may, that may be a little bit uh, destructive or unhealthy, things that we hear or things that we perceive and our brain just gets a little out of sorts. God has wired this little, you know, three pound ball of mush in our cranium to be reset. Our minds can be reset. Uh, very often it takes a lot of help or therapists or counselors or friends, whatever, to come alongside and get that kind of tweaked thinking back in order, but our brains can be reset. Our hearts, our souls, the spiritual us can be reset as well. If our priorities get a little out of whack and we get perhaps a little selfish or a little angry, uh, our heart can be reset. Our priorities can be reset. God has wired us with the ability to reset. You read God's Word, particularly in the Old Testament, it's story after story of people who are going sideways, our whole nation's going sideways, and God says it's time for a reset. Some of those stories are so profound that it involves even the changing of a name. So somebody's name is changed because that resetting of their life was so powerful, they need to mark it by changing their very name. Here's a couple of examples. Abram. Abram was a tribal leader of a clan wandering nomadically around Mesopotamia, 99 years old. So you think he's kind of coming to the end of his business, right? God says, no, we're going to reset you at 99 years old. We're going to reset you. I need you to move your whole clan. I need you to go west. I need you to settle the land of Canaan. And there you will build a nation. And so at 99 years old, you're going to be a nation builder. So I'm going to call you Abraham, the father of nations. Sarai, his wife, 90 years old. She's done, right? She's kind of getting to the end of her time too, right? Kind of wrapping things up. God says, no, you are going to be the mother of princes. I'm now going to name you Sarah, a name change. Jacob, if you know your Sunday school stories, he's a um, kind of clever guy and he is 
sort of, you know, wielding his intellect to manipulate the world around him, right? That's Jacob. He's a schemer. That's what his name means, schemer. Uh, God says, you know what? I'm done with you scheming. I'm going to do a powerful work in your life, and you shall be called Israel, which means God's people. Changed his name. Some of you might be familiar with Simon in the New Testament, one of the core three disciples of Jesus, right? There's James, John, and Simon. The name Simon means listener. The problem is Simon didn't listen to anybody. He did a lot of speaking. He was just very bold, did a lot of speaking. So Jesus says, we're not going to use your Simon name. We're going to use your Peter name. You are Petra. You are the rock. And, and he affirmed his boldness and says, you're going to build a fantastic church because of your boldness. I'm now calling you Peter. And I've known people in my own life. They've gone through very significant you know, resets in their life. And some of them have even legally changed their name to kind of mark it. I'm not suggesting that. It's very complicated. But for some people, that kind of reset is so important, and they need to mark that that reset in some powerful ways. Again, you read God's Word. God is a God of reset. He loves being able to kind of start over with people and to say the past is the past. We're now moving on to a new season of life, to new territory. This is going to be different. This is going to be set in a different way that may be unfamiliar to your past, but it's going to chart a new course for you. In fact, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. It's a reset. When we come to faith in Christ and through Jesus, we see the unconditional, forgiving, loving, embracing love of the Father, where through Jesus, we know we are deeply and unconditionally loved, that we are forgiven of everything, past, present, and future, and God just wants us to know how much he accepts us, how much he loves us, how much he wants to pour his life into us, This is referred to as a new person or even a new birth. The old life is gone. All things are becoming new. So keep in mind that reset is not just a one-time deal. It's not that God just kind of zaps and, ooh, all things are brand new. No, it's a process. All things are becoming new. So a reset tends to take some time. A reset tends to be a journey, kind of a long-term journey. But a reset has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. Nobody accidentally resets their life. And God's certainly not going to reset our life without our permission. God's ready to go. God's ready to move. He's ready to shape us. He's ready to bring us into a new season. He's ready to to put our lives on a new course, a better course, a more powerful, more purposeful course. But we've got to allow him to do his work of reset, right? So what we're going to do over uh, these next few minutes is we are going to talk about some things we've learned from 2020 that can result in a reset of our life in 2021 and beyond. And the big picture here is we're going to call this a reset toward tranquility. A pressured life reset to a tranquil life. A pressured life reset to a tranquil life. I love that word tranquil. It just, it's easy to say. Tranquil, it just sounds nice. I love it in Spanish as well, tranquilo. It's just that beautiful tranquilo. Whenever my head gets a little bit sideways and I just say that word, tranquilo, hombre, in my life, in my head, and I'm just kind of calming down, right? Just, okay, it's no big deal. We'll get through this. We'll get through it. That idea of pursuing peace and being reset to peace. A tranquil life is really what we all want, I think, deep down inside. And in fact, God is the God of tranquility. So you see in the scripture this idea of seventh-day rest. God works sixth and rests the seventh. It's not necessarily about how he created the universe. It's just what he wants to invite us all into. He wants to invite us all into that tranquil rest. Yet our culture is so pressured. We live in a pressured culture, right? There is pressure in the American culture to succeed, and, and it's a lot of pressure. 
It's on our young kids as well. You know, get those good grades. Get those good grades. You got to, oh, and by the way, not only get the good grades, but be involved in three club sports and make sure to spend plenty of time with your friends and make sure to do your household chores. And the pressure from kids is huge to succeed. Get those good grades so you can get into a good school and make that good money and live that good life. That's the American way, right? It's pressure to succeed, pressure to have the right stuff, pressure to have the right lifestyle, pressure to have a good family, right? Pressure to make sure your family looks good online, right? You're fighting like crazy, about to rip each other's eyes out. Let's take that instant picture. And then you're fighting, you know. It, we, there's all kinds of pressure to project that we've got it together, that we're good, right? That we look good, that our family's good, that we're successful, that we're enjoying things, right? There's all kinds of pressure. As I said earlier, there's pressure on our kids. It's maximum pressure, which is why a lot of them are so stressed out with anxieties and depressions. So much pressure. Then 2020 hits. And 2020 hits, and all of a sudden, between roughly March 16th, I think, April and May, we have nearly three months where we're locked down, and we have less to do by force, right? And some of you remember those days. Um, our family was all together yesterday, and we were recounting the last nine months. I, it feels like nine years to us. And, and just recounting this forced stay at home and, and what that did to us for the good and sometimes for the bad but we were forced to have a less busy life, right? And, and so there's some learning that can come out of 2020 that says, hey, listen, we had a pressurized culture. Maybe we had a pressurized life. Our kids might have been full of pressure, but through 2020, we might reset our life to be a little bit more tranquilo, right? In a few ways. We're going to talk about four ways. The first three are going to be easy. You're going to go, yeah, you're all going to nod your head. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll make a few changes. First three. Fourth one's a doozy. Nobody will listen to it, and it will change nothing. But we're going to have some fun. First three. You ready? A more tranquil schedule. So if we're going to reset our life to a more tranquil life, we have to have a more tranquil schedule. And uh, if anything, 2020 taught us that there is actually a decent life when we are not completely crazy busy, Right? Now, in order to keep that kind of tranquility going, we have to have some boundaries. We have to have some boundaries on work. We can't work ourselves to the bone. If we're working, 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 we are not going to have a tranquil schedule. We're not going to have a tranquil life. We're not going to create margin for the important things in life, which is really about relationships. So we're going to set boundaries on our jobs. We're going to set boundaries on our commitments. So we're not going to say yes to everything. One of the things that um, you know, any good counselor or you know, coach or friend will tell you is, is that you've got to learn how to say no. Learn how to say no. So we walk with people and we say, listen, no, say it. no, no. One syllable, two sounds, no, no, right? You can do it. If we say no, we create boundaries. If we say no, we be, we're able to say, okay, I'm going to invest in the important things in life and sometimes say no to the less important, which means I have margin. I have room to breathe. I have room to not be stressed out. I have room to not be in a hurry, right? And I have room to invest in what's really important in life, just friends and family, friends and family. It's really that simple. We kind of push out friends and family the busier we are, right? Having margins, saying no, setting boundaries on our lives, setting boundaries on our kids' lives. Listen, I want to encourage you. Your kids need to be kids. They do not need to be just stressed out on all kinds of stuff and activities. Some of these kids, man, they... They, they get home from school and they're involved in one thing after the other. They have to run home, get through their homework, and it's you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night and they're going to bed all stressed out. They're children, right? Boundaries on our work, boundaries on our schedule, boundaries on our kids' lives so we have margin. 
we can rest, we can be tranquil, and we can invest in friends and family. I love how Ephesians 5 puts this. It's this great encouragement to be careful how you live. Another way to look at that phrase is, is to be careful with your time. This is kind of a cliche, but time is the most valuable resource, right? You can't buy time. You can't buy one second of your life back. I don't care how many billions you might have in your bank account. You cannot buy a single second of your life back. So time is the most valuable resource. It's the most valuable treasure. And so this verse is encouraging us to be careful with how we use our time. And it goes on to say to be wise, not unwise, and make the most of every opportunity. And so we can ask ourselves, you know, even today, are we going to make the most of today? And in our Western thinking, well, making the most of today means I got to get through my to-do list. I got to get my projects done, right? That's kind of the Western way of thinking. The American way of thinking is, is making the most of our day means we get a lot done. Well, that is not what this is saying. This is in the context of relationships. So today, if you make the most out of today, you will build into the relationships around you, your family and your friends, which means you'll have to have margin in your life to be able to build into those relationships, a more tranquil schedule. Think about what you can do to set those boundaries, to have more margin, to build more into the people around you. Secondly, a more tranquil budget. One of the things that 2020 did was to have us take stock in what's really important in life. And, and for a lot of folks, you know, you, you've, you built that career, you made that money, you've got your lifestyle. And, and really when a, a pandemic is sweeping the nation and there's tensions all over the place in our country, that's a time to say what's really important in life. And so for a lot of people, um, it was becoming, you know, painfully kind of, you know, to the forefront of their thinking that this money that we've been pursuing and these priorities of a bigger lifestyle and has not only robbed us of time, but it's robbed us of, of the real value of life, which can't be measured in bank accounts and square footage and cars. And so for a lot of people, they're making decisions to kind of, you know, pull back from that pursuit of money. I've got a few friends of mine that, you know, they have the ability to retire. And so they're saying, I don't need to just keep grinding and grinding and grinding for what, right? To just make more money when I have this opportunity to build into my, my family and my kids and my grandkids. And so they decided to retire. And which I say, you know, snarkily, well, good for you. But the rest of us, you know, got to work, right? But some people are saying, I'm going to limit my pursuit of money by having a healthy work rhythm and not saying yes to all these work commitments. I'm not gonna be pursuing the next dollar to buy the next thing. I don't need to build my lifestyle anymore. I don't need to keep chasing after more and more and more. 2020 has kind of brought that to the forefront for so many people. Proverbs 14.30 puts it this way. A tranquil heart leads to a healthy body. This was written 3,000 years ago. You talk to any doctor today, they will tell you that a peaceful life probably does more for your physical health than anything else. Probably even more than your diet or exercise. Just being a peaceful person does so much to bring health. What's the opposite of peace according to Proverbs 14? Envy, coveting, jealousy. I want what you have. I want your lifestyle. I want your bank account. I want your money. That creates stress. It creates a pursuit of money. It creates an internal sort of jealousy and coveting what you have. I want what you have. It robs us of peace. It robs us of health. So let's have a more tranquil budget. For some people, that has meant downsizing. 
We started our little downsizing journey two years ago because we, we, you know, we have the normal life curve here is you start off with your, for us, it was a, you know, kind of apartment, starter apartment, starter little tiny house and had a bunch of kids. We were, did not have much money at all. I think you could categorize us as poor early on. And then, you know, you kind of make a little more, more money and, you know, we did a few things that kind of worked out. And so you've got kids and so you buy the bigger house and you need the bigger car because you got more kids. And, and so we kind of peaked out a couple years ago when our twins went off to college. Now we have a far more empty house and we don't need all this house and we don't need these cars. And so we started downsizing. We're still downsizing now. We've got a couple, couple things to go. And it creates more margin in the budget. And when more margin happens in the budget, you can do two things that are really cool. You can save more, which brings more peace, and you can give more, which brings more purpose. It's pretty cool what happens. Now, whether you're at the midpoint of life like us and have the uh, you know, ability to downsize or whether you are you know, ramping up, but you ramp up a little more carefully so you're not always on the margin, spending every dollar you make or going into debt, just be wise, right? And 2020 can teach us what's really important. What's really important is not the pursuit of money and the stuff that money buys, but it's the people around us. And it's perhaps our generosity and perhaps the security that comes from saving. So a more tranquil schedule, a more tranquil budget. You're on your head, no problem. We can make some changes. A more tranquil family. This is a way to reset 2021 and beyond, to decide to have a more tranquil family. Now, when we had that first shutdown back in the spring, the family was just forced to all be at home and together, right? And for families that were pretty healthy, that was a good time. And you might have seen on social media, you know, families being healthy and happy and smiling and playing games and they're all excited and all that. And your family might have been on fire, right? Because <laughs> if your family was a little dysfunctional, you pile on top of each other and now it could explode. And so uh, for a lot of people, whether your family was healthy or not, it brought to the forefront how important family is. And we really do want a tranquil, a peaceful family which means some decisions have to be made, some decisions to not sweat the small stuff, little annoyances that come from your family and they'll come every day, all day. Let it go, it's not that big a deal. Little offenses, all right, we can let a couple things go. We're gonna appreciate our family more. So instead of nitpicking each other's flaws and failures, which is a ton of fun, we're gonna decide to encourage each other and thank each other. We're gonna verbalize it, right? How appreciative we are of you. We're going to enjoy the daily moments when we were at home, and we're a little more at home right now in, in these winter, you know, COVID months. We're a little more at home. Let's enjoy those moments. They don't have to be scheduled moments, but just the pleasure of being around each other with nothing to do. That's where the greatest conversations kind of happen, right? Prioritizing time at home and vacations, uh, creating a happy, tranquil home. And I'm telling you, that is available to anyone who wants it. A tranquil home is available to anyone who wants it. Now, you might need some help getting there because our, our patterns sometimes are kind of toxic and we pour that into each other. But any family that wants a tranquil home can have it. Give us a call. Send us an email. We'll help you out, right? And I think one of the keys to a tranquil home is this wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 5. It's the summary passage of the longest teaching about the family in the Bible. You ready? Submit to one another. Now, the word submit is not something we are all eager to embrace. Ooh, I want to be a submissive person. And we might think submissive is kind of weak and, you know, just doormat and uh, whatever you want to do. It's not that. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Submission is strength. Jesus was submissive to his heavenly father, and he had the strength to live for the benefit of others. That's what submission is. It's using our strength not to live for our benefit, but the benefit of others. That's submission. 
And so it's a mom who knows full well that she's the most powerful person in the home, right? She knows that full well. She instead chooses the path of submission. I'm going to live for the benefit of my spouse and my kids. Same thing with a husband. The husband knows I can, I can be a wrecking ball in this, in this house if I want to be, but I'm going to submit. So I'm going to live for the benefit of my spouse and my children. Even children, they have to be pretty mature, but even children can decide, you know what? I could be an annoying little snot, but I'm going to choose to live for the benefit of my brothers and sisters and my parents. That is possible. A miracle of God, but possible, right? Submit to one another. So three things. And again, we're all nodding our heads. I'm reading the room. We're nodding our heads. Okay, I can get my head around a more tranquil schedule. can make some changes. I can get my head around a more tranquil budget. You know, be careful what we spend. Maybe some downsizing. A more tranquil family. We can make some tweaks. Maybe get some help. More tranquil family. We can do that. That could be a great reset. There's a fourth thing I want to add to this mix based on 2020. A little bit of a doozy. So hang on. Don't tune out, please. I want us to envision a more tranquil world. I want us to think about a more tranquil world. You might think, well, that doesn't sound very controversial, and it's sort of not. You might think that's kind of a big deal. I'm one of, you know, seven point whatever billion people on the planet. What can I do to build a more tranquil world? Well, you can do something. We'll talk about that here. But have a vision of a more tranquil world, because here's what 2020 did to us. This was the real destruction of 2020. I think even worse than the pandemic, worse than the election nonsense, worse than racial tensions, the worst thing that happened in 2020 was this. 2020 divided us into outraged tribes. 2020 divided this country into outraged tribes. The real destruction of 2020 wasn't the pandemic, although that was terrible, wasn't the racial injustices, which were terrible, wasn't the election, which was terrible, right? The real destruction of 2020 is we were divided into outraged tribes and we went along for the ride. We didn't know we were. We were just living our life. We were doing our thing. But we were led by others into small, angry tribes. I'm going to put it this way, and, and this might feel a little overblown, but I'm telling you it's not. We, and I'm using we and our very intentionally here. I'm talking about myself in, in this, and I'm talking about every single one of you here live, online, and me, and my family, all of us. We have become little outraged pawns on a chessboard being played by corporate media and corporate politics. It is an indisputable fact that that is happening. There are billions and billions and billions, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in well-placed algorithm, you know, programmed ads, putting things in your face all day through your device that are leading you down a road that puts you in an outraged tribe. So here's what is happening. It's not conspiracy theory, it's just what's happening. Even these companies 100% agree it's happening. Big, giant tech companies and giant political corporations are tracking your every move online, particularly the big tech companies. They're tracking your every move online. They are tracking every single thing you do online through the history of your life. These computers and algorithms are tracking every bit of it. So they know you more than your mama. They know you more than yourself. Everything you've ever done online is being tracked. That creates a profile of you. 
through that profile, these algorithms are then sending you very specific, very targeted, baited traps. Baited traps. When you click on something that they have fed you, news feeds, you know, ads pop up, whatever, they're sending you baited traps. You click on that. It is a trap that closes around you. You are now further profiled. The, your profile is further focused, and so the ads are further focused. And then you click again, and you click again, and you click again, and they are taking you down this road towards one of two places. They're taking you down the road to buy something. So I'll give you just a little example. You know this happens all the time. Everybody kind of jokes about it. You'll be talking about something. Five seconds later, an ad about that thing pops up on your phone, right? It's almost like you just think it, and they know, right? They track everything. There's some, uh, some new terms and conditions of some uh, online providers right now, and they basically are saying, we're tracking your eyes, so we not only know what you're looking at on the phone, but how you react to what you're looking at. It all goes in the profile to send you more ads so you buy more stuff. Um, you might have noticed things this uh, Christmas, so we were um, going to buy one of our kids. We did buy one of our kids an Apple Watch, right? The Treadway family is a wholly owned subsidiary of Apple computers. Um, so we're buying an Apple Watch. And just the fact that we were looking at a watch, I can't tell you how many watch ads pop up on my online life. And I did something the other day, as I knew I was gonna talk about this, this, this one watch, I got, you know, just kind of looked interesting to me. So I clicked, and as soon as I clicked on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I know it's I'm in that system. I'm gonna have, you know, 16 days of watch ads pop up. You're just in the system, right? So there, there, is this, there are these mega industries, it's both media industry and political industries that are leading us down these roads to either buy something that we didn't think we needed, but now we think we need, and so now we're gonna buy, or they take us down to these outraged little tribes. Outraged little tribes. Now, if you doubt any of this, and I don't think you do because you're brilliant human beings, uh, just watch The Social uh, Dilemma on Netflix, and you'll hear it from the tech companies themselves, what they're doing. They won't even let their kids have devices. And they're running all of our devices. I want you to imagine a couple of things. Imagine an opulent boardroom filled with media executives. News media, social media, just filled with executives. And they are strategizing and planning how to trap you and get you. How to get you convinced to buy something that you don't need and didn't want before. And they're, they're working out all the programs and all the algorithms to get you to want something you never wanted and buy something you never needed. They're in boardrooms manipulating you, creating the systems to manipulate you. And every single click, it's another baited trap and you're going down that road. And by you, I mean me. Imagine another boardroom filled with political executives and they want your money and they want your vote. And so what are they gonna do? They're gonna work with the tech companies and they're gonna put targeted ads. And so if you're leaning a little bit left, they're gonna bait you with left-leaning articles. And they're gonna take you down this little rabbit trail. You don't know that's happening. You don't know it's an intentional deal. You're just, oh, that looks interesting. Let's click. Oh, you read that. Oh, that's interesting. Well, this other thing pops up because you read this thing. Oh, that's interesting. And all of a sudden you're down a deep, dark political deal and you hate all the conservatives in the world. You might lean a little bit right, same thing. This right-leaning article, that right-leaning article, do, 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 and you're going down this road and all of a sudden you buy into everything, right? And they, it's the most important election of our time and the country's at stake and you buy all, yes. They took you down that road and you were just, do, 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 do. you think you took yourself there. You did not, you did not. 
Berkeley studied this whole system comprehensively, and they just came up with all kinds of very frightening conclusions. Here's the summary. Social media does not promote understanding and change. It might have been intended to promote, you know, this global connection and collaboration. And in some parts that happens, like with science, that happens wonderfully. There's some great... But mostly what happens is social media is designed to create tension. It's designed to create camps. It's designed to create division. It's designed to create outrage because we act when we're outraged. We give money because we're outraged. We vote because we're outraged. So these systems need us to be outraged. Instead, it divides the world into tribes that label people as good and evil, then seeks to punish those who do not conform. It's a dynamic that is certainly aggravated by foreign-sponsored social media accounts that aim to play on America's social divisions. So keep in mind, billions of dollars are now outside the country trying to make America more divided, and so they create social media platforms to get us riled up. And so one of the reasons why we got so riled up this election season is because we read fake articles coming out of foreign media, left and right. It's all the same. Here's what should have happened. A pandemic should have unified us all in 2020. A pandemic should have unified us all in 2020. In fact, I remember this conversation when uh, uh, COVID hit the shores of America. I remember having this conversation at home where I said, uh, this should be a time of unity, but it's not going to happen. And sure as heck, it didn't. We should have all looked at the data, it's clear data, that there are people in high-risk categories that need to be protected. It's, it's that simple. We should have looked at the data. We should have got together, medical community, business community, political leaders, health department, faith leaders, school leaders, get everybody together and come up with a plan to protect those at risk, but also to keep the engine of the economy going so we don't create you know, more damage than we need to. It's, I don't want to oversimplify, but that should have happened, didn't. And there should have been a constant conversation and collaboration with all the you know, numbers that are, that are going to try to figure out how you protect those at risk, but keep the, th- keep the economy going. There should have been unity. There should have been collaboration. There wasn't for one second. Why? Two reasons. The political machine cannot have us unified. The political machinery cannot have us unified. If we are a unified people, regardless of Republican, Democrat, red, blue, if we are unified and we're collaborating, working together, do you think we'll need political parties or politicians? We won't. So they have to keep us divided. And the media is just right along because politicians pay for media and here we go. And all the extremes are highlighted and everybody gets more enraged because we're going down this predetermined rabbit hole towards outrage. It's just what's happening. It's what's happening. Racial injustice should have unified us all in 2020. We all saw those three videos. We all saw those three videos, horrific, horrific videos. That should have broke all of our hearts. And together we should have sat in rooms of all ethnicities, and we should have heard their stories, and we should have heard from law enforcement, and we should have heard from the black community and the Hispanic community, all ethnic minorities. We should have heard from the faith community. We should have had community leaders together to say what's broken in our country. Let's get to know each other's story. Let me figure out why you're coming from where you're coming from. Let me understand why you have this position. Let me understand why you believe this is the way of reform, and let's have good conversations. And I will tell you, we had that conversation here. It was on the stage, 19 of us. From every demographic, every generation, law enforcement, 
youth political activists. We were all here on the stage, 19 of us, and we had the most amazing conversation for two hours, and we could have been here for another 20 hours. We recorded it all, and things were just too crazy, and, but it was beautiful. If this conversation happened a million times throughout this country, we would not be where we're at today in angry, outraged tribes that consider the other the enemy. We didn't know we were pawns just being manipulated, but that's exactly what happened by political and corporate um, interests. It's just what happened. Now, what do we do about that? I think we need to make some very specific and very intentional changes. I'm not anti-social media. I dabble. Uh, our social media platforms, church, school, rescue mission, are vibrant. It could be a good tool. But it, it could be and probably will be considered to be the most destructive force on the planet in the 21st century, if we're not careful. If we're not careful. So what can we do about it? we can appropriately approach social media and politics. We can say, I'm not going to participate, to the best of my ability, I'm not gonna participate in going down the rabbit trails of merchandising. I'm just not gonna click the stuff that piques my interest, that car, that watch, that whatever, it is. I'm just not gonna click. Every time I click, it's a new profile, new focus, and I'm gonna end up buying the thing, right? Um, I'm not gonna participate in the marketing, merchandising of that. I'm gonna keep that at an arm's length. And better yet, I'm not going to participate in the outrage. And here's my suggestion that's specific that none of you will probably take me up on. I think this whole last 10 minutes is a futile waste of time. That's my honest opinion. Nothing against you or me. Keep in mind I'm talking about us. But the system is so powerfully imprisoning us on this, I'm not sure this is possible. But is it possible that a few of us can make the decision to never post anything negative about another person. Well, politicians are free game. Well, that's what they want. Do you think it is um, a coincidence that Biden at his um, victory speech talked about being a president for everybody? Does, don't all presidents say something like that? We want to be a president for everybody. In two days, he's eviscerating the Republican Party. And Republicans do the same thing to the Democrats. Why? Because there's another election coming up on January 5th. And the only way money is going to come into that election by the hundreds of, of millions of dollars is if people are outraged. So it's almost like, I'm just imagining this and I know this happened. Uh, hey, Biden, I know you talked about being a president for all, but there's this election that doesn't win the election. Okay, what do I say? Outrage, 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 money, 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 votes, votes, votes. And here we go, just another piece moved on the chessboard. Is it possible that we would say, I'm not going to participate. I am going to be a person who projects only love. Galatians 5.14 quotes Jesus. The whole law can be summed up in one command. Jesus made it simple. Just deal with one thing. He's keeping it simple. The whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus defined who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is actually your enemy, right? Good Samaritan. That's who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is the one you used to think is your enemy. That's your neighbor. 
So think about everyone that you have been compelled to say something or post something negative about. If we go through this little mental exercise that I have been a pawn, that these industries have moved to get me mad about that person, and so I'm posting about that person, I've been manipulated to not love that person, but in fact to project hateful things towards people. I have been pushed there as a pawn on this chessboard, and I am done. I'm done. I'm going to only do what Jesus asked me to do, which is to love my neighbor. Love those I consider to be dangerous because I consider them to be dangerous because I was told to consider them to be dangerous by this rabbit trail. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Here's the warning. You will destroy one another. We are destroying one another. The most prosperous nation that has ever existed, that has done the most good in the world than any other nation that has ever existed, the United States of America, this country that has the potential to bring goodness to the world like you wouldn't imagine is destroying each other because political executives and marketing executives have told us to. Is that gonna turn around? I will be very honest with you and say boldly, nope, it's not. I have zero hope that, it, that it'll turn around. But can I make different decisions? Can you make different decisions? Can we project love and believe the best in people? Can we build bridges? Can we individually create conversations? And, and, and can we maybe make some friends with people that are different po politics than us and different backgrounds than us and different ethnicities than us? Can we make intentional friendships at work and in our community and, and really build empathy and understanding and love and then build maybe a church community that is a light to our little city here, that there is a possibility that a diverse community of progressives and conservatives and white and black and Hispanic and Asian can get together and really be friends and love each other and link arms together and serve people in need and advance the cause of Christ together. Is that actually possible? I'm telling you, it's unlikely, but I want to try. And that'll involve every single one of us making some decisions. I'm going to project nothing but love. Let's pray. Our God and Father, um, thank you that we have been given the ability to reset. And coming out of 2020, uh, there is so much that we can do to, to make the future a little bit brighter by being a little more tranquil, a little more peaceful. And that may begin with the simple things of tweaking our schedule and tweaking our budgets and tweaking our family life so that we can live a life at greater peace. God, we also have a responsibility as, as global citizens to create a more tranquil world. And there are these massive worldly industries that are pushing us apart and causing us to be bitterly divided and we are destroying each other. And it is my uh, prayer, fervent prayer, that particularly your people, those who claim the cause of Christ, will take the lead and to say enough is enough. I'm not gonna be pushed down the road to tribalism and outrage. I'm not gonna be pushed anymore. And I'm gonna be a beacon of light. I'm gonna be a beacon of hope. I am gonna do nothing but project kindness. And through kindness and love, the world will truly change. At the heart level, it will truly change.
and the world that Jesus himself envisioned, a world of all tribes, tongues, and nations together in harmony, a diverse community, celebrating you and celebrating each other and living a life of peace and generosity, happy together, can be a reality. But God, we have a long way to go. And I pray that starts with each one of us, perhaps taking this opportunity the last week of, of 2020 to do some soul searching, to make some decisions, to make this world a little more peaceful. In Christ's name we pray, amen.